once again to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to see that uh, we're probably going to be covering some of the same ground we've covered once before. And the reason we're going to do that is because John does that. He wants to make sure that we know. He wants to make sure that we know that we know that what he's talking about. Make sure he, we know that uh, he ain't playing. You ever had mom and daddy tell you, if I tell you more than once, you know I ain't playing. You know I ain't playing. Let's pray together. We're going to get, to get into God's word. Father, we love you. God, as we turn into your word, we just uh, we come and we ask that you would be with us and that you would guide us as we, as we get to read your word, we get to study your word, we get to have your word preached. Father, we pray that you would just uh, let your spirit fall in this place in such a way that uh, both the ones speaking and the ones hearing God would just be touched by you rather than just some good ideas or some, some good stories or some good jokes, Lord, that you would come and that you would just uh, minister to us and that you would change our hearts by your word. We know that uh, the word's what, uh, what cleanses us. It's what uh, makes us clean. It gives us life. And we, uh, we, uh, we thank you that you reveal yourself in your word. So we ask that you would just come and that you would, uh, that you would uh, combine that word with, uh, with the spirit as it, as it moves amongst, amongst us and uh, you would change our hearts. And we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is kind of a special, it's kind of a special Sunday. Um, you probably didn't know it, but I'm going to tell you why. Uh, this week I kind of had a, I don't know if you call it an epiphany or a, uh, a realization or, a, uh, something, but my, my life changed this week. Um, I, uh, you know, most of y'all know, y'all probably heard me tell the story about how I, you know, I kind of want to be healthier, kind of trying to, you know, I probably ain't going to drop 50 pounds in my whole life. So, you know, that's probably not going to happen, but uh, just be healthier and just, you know, try to try to eat healthier and just, you know, that comes along with being around sick folks all day long. And um, this Sunday is going to be the first Sunday I have decided that that I am going to be from from this day out, I'm going to be a vegetarian. So this is going to be my first Sunday as a as a vegetarian. I'm uh, uh, it's going to benefit me. It's going to uh, you know, it's it's a healthier thing. You get, you know, heart, Miss Luce nodding her head. She's agreeing with me. Uh, she, you know, it's it. You get healthier when you're a vegetarian. You know, you organs last longer, heart, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you know, it's just something that I I, I just kind of need the benefits of it. You know, I kind of need to, I kind of need to straighten some things out. I I, I want to have, you know. I, I want to have it, you know, you, I can go through the list, blood flow, and just, just all the things, all the benefits that come with being vegetarian. I mean, so I hope you don't look at me any different. I mean, I'm still going to eat like fish, you know, I eat fish, and but I, more than likely I'm going to be just a vegetarian. Yeah, well, I, I'm still going to eat chicken too. I mean, I'm going to eat chicken and fish, um, but I'm going to have the, I'm going to, you know, be being a vegetarian is at least going to make me healthier. I mean, I'll, I'll probably still eat sausage, too. I mean, fish and chicken and sausage. <clears throat> I'm going to eat fish and chicken and sausage. But I'm, other than that, I'm going to be, well, fish and chicken and sausage and, and beef and pork. I'm going to eat them. I'm going to eat them things. But other than that, I'm going to be a vegetarian. And from now on, you know, I'm going to have the benefits of living longer and being healthier and all that kind of stuff. And, but, uh, but yeah, well, I can't give up hamburgers either. I'm going to eat hamburgers, too, and, and steak and uh and and seafood i I love seafood but other than that i'm going to be a vegetarian so i'm going to eat 
fish and chicken and pork and beef and seafood and steak. But other than that, I'm going to be a vegetarian. And the reason why I'm going to be a vegetarian is because it's, it's healthier. You know, it really is. It's healthier. Miss Lou's not shaking her head. No, she's not nodding her head no more. It's going to be healthier. Now, <clears throat> honestly, does that make any sense whatsoever? Of course not. Of course not. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know, it's just not reasonable. It doesn't matter. I can claim all day long to be a vegetarian. But if I eat meat, if I eat pork and beef and, you know, hamburgers and steaks and all that, you know, I, I, all day long I can tell you how a vegetarian I am. But in reality, I'm not a vegetarian. It, reality doesn't, it, reality is, it, it's just not. It's, you can't be, if you can, you can point to a square all day long and tell me that it's a circle. But if it's got four corners on it, I don't care what you call it, it's a square. It's not a circle. It may be a rectangle, but it's not a circle for sure. So reality is reality, whether you like it or not. Now, today's generation may disagree with me, you know, because you call whatever, whatever it is that you want it to be, that's what it is. But that's not reality. That's not truth. I mean, you can call it something, you know, you can dress up like a girl, but it, that ain't gonna make you a girl. You can, uh, you can, you can call me a vegetarian, but if I eat meat, I'm not a vegetarian. It's just a simple fact. But it doesn't make much sense to me to, for me to tell you, hey, I'm going to reap the benefits of being a vegetarian, but I'm still going to eat meat and I'm still going to eat pork. And I'm, no, you're not going to reap the benefits if there are any of being a vegetarian because you're not a vegetarian. I don't care what you call yourself. I don't care what you call yourself. And to be honest with you, it just sounds kind of stupid, doesn't it? To say I'm a vegetarian. I mean, y'all was taking me serious when I first started, dude. Like, Really? It, it, it's just kind of stupid. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. It's, it's really ridiculous. It'd be like if I tell you, you know, I'm going to go on a diet and I got this new diet where I'm going to, I'm going to eat ice cream all day long and I, I'm, I'm going to plan on losing 20 pounds in two weeks. And you're thinking that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You eat ice cream all day long. You're not going to lose no weight. Well, what, what I want to show you from 1 John chapter 4 today, we're going to just look at verses 7 through, 7 through 12. We're going to talk about, we've seen the test of 1 John. He's testing uh, whether you are a believer or not, whether we, we are to apply these tests to ourselves. It is for us to, to see with those, who, uh, with those who claim to be, whether we, uh, whether we listen to them or not, whether we will believe them, follow them or not. But it's also more, more appropriately, it's for ourselves, for us to test and examine ourselves, whether we be of the faith or not, whether we be Christians. And I'm going to show you how that vegetarian thing applies here in just a minute. But you know the test, they're the same three, and it's going to, he's going to hit these same three throughout the book. If you've been with us from the beginning of the book, you know what they are. You've got the test of doctrine. Do you believe the truth? You've got the test of obedience. Do you walk after his ways? And you've got the test of love. Do you love the brethren? And those are the three tests. Well, he's going to spend a whole lot of time, an inordinate amount of time, really, from here uh, to the end of the book, talking about this test of love. Do you love the brethren? Because if you are a believer, you love the brethren. And we've talked about that before. We've viewed that test before. We've seen it before. But today he's going to tell us why it's so. He's going to tell us why that if you are a believer, you love the brethren. You love the church. You love God's people. It's a fact. I can't make it any plainer than that. John's going to make it even more forceful and more plain than I am. Uh, this is, it's just a fact. And let's read verse seven and eight. We'll just start right there. It says, beloved, let us love one another 
It's talking about the beloved, the church, the body of Christ. Let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. We love as believers. You love the brethren. You love the body of believers. You love, and I'm not talking about the love where you're just loving. You know, I love the whole worldwide church of God, all those Christians over in Africa and China and all. That's good. And then we do love those. But we're talking about actual love that you demonstrate to people. I mean, I guess you can demonstrate your love by sending some money over to Africa and that's good. But we're talking about day in, day out love. We're talking about over and over again. We're talking about a lifestyle of loving the brethren. Why do we love? Why do all believers without exception, if you are a Christian, understand what I'm saying, understand what John's saying. If you have been born again by the spirit of God, you love the brethren. That's what he says. Why? Because love is from God. That's what it said in verse seven. Go back to verse seven up there. Uh, love is from God. Understand it. It's a fact. You can't you can't manufacture this love. You can't go out and work harder to make it. You can't go and muster it up. You can't change your mind and make a decision. I'm going to do this from now on. I'm going to change the way I think about things. I'm going to, I'm going to start loving more. I'm going to start that. It, it, it doesn't work that way because this kind of love is not natural for us. It's not natural for my heart to want to love people that don't love me back or people that uh, are not, you know, my intimate family or my close friends or, or those kind of things. It's not natural. We saw that before in first John. He said, the world hates you. He said, the world's going to hate you. He said, but you're going to love the brethren. That's how we know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. It says, let us love one another. And the reason is because love is from God. It's not something that you are able to to make up in your own self. It's not something you can fake it for a time or two. You can fake it by going over, you know, in somebody's house and they're sick and you want to go help them or you want to go. You can fake it for a little while, but to make a lifestyle out of it, to do it the rest of your life, to spend your life loving the brethren, loving the body of believers. It's not in your power to do that. It is from God. This kind of love that we're talking about. We're not talking about the the Hollywood kind of love where it's a funny, fuzzy feeling in my heart. And I just have all this emotion and gushy infatuation. We're not talking about that kind of love. We're talking about loving the brethren. We're talking about the love that God puts in the hearts of his children for his children. And then John says something that is very strong. I want you to hear it. He says, and everyone, everyone that loveth, he's talking about that loves in this way, that loves the body of believers. We're going to define it here in just a few verses. Everyone that loveth is born of God. We're not talking about out loving four-wheeler riding and loving hanging out and uh, going fishing and that kind of stuff. John's already told us love, not the world or the things of the world. So we know that there's a certain kind of love we're not talking about. We're talking about a specific kind of love here. He said, everyone that loves this way is born of God. They've been born of God and they know God. And then he says the opposite in the next verse. He says, the one that doesn't, he says, he that loveth not Knoweth not God, the one that doesn't love the brethren this way, let us love one another is not from God. And why? Because God himself is love. Now, when I said that to you, 
Everyone that is born of God loves this way, loves one another, loves the brethren, loves the body of believers. Are you doing it perfectly? Of course not. We're not talking about that. We're talking about it being present. But understand, he says, everyone, everyone, you're not excluded. Nobody's excluded. You know, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I've done my part. No, everyone that loves this way has been born of God. And he that loveth not doesn't know God. It doesn't say that you knew God once, but you stopped knowing him, you know, and all that got broke up. It says you don't know him, period. If you don't love the people of God, the body of believers, is it hard sometimes? Yes. That's what makes it from God because it's hard. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own flesh. You can't do it by making a decision and just pulling up your bootstraps and getting to work at it. It has to come from God. It's something that's born of him. It's not natural for us. It says the one that doesn't love doesn't know God. Now, does that sound strange to you? Does it sound hard? Does it sound harsh? Really, it shouldn't. Because God is love. You see that? He says, now, now think about what you're saying. You're telling me that the God of the universe, the one who created, the one who spun the stars in the sky, the one who gave his son to die on a cross for you. You're saying that that God lives in you and that God is love, but yet you don't love. It's almost like saying I'm a vegetarian that likes to eat pork and meat and beef. And it just doesn't make sense. If God is love, if God is love and he is, and God dwells in you, in the believer, he has come in, he has supped with you, made his home with you, given you a new heart, and he dwells in you by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't make sense to say, yes, I am a believer, but no, I don't love the brethren. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. In fact, it's like it's like pointing at a circle and saying, look at this square right here. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. If God himself is love and God himself dwells in you and dwells in me, then shouldn't we love? Shouldn't we love what God loves? Shouldn't we hate what God hates? Shouldn't that love if God himself is living in us and working through us and moving in our lives. And in him, we live and move and have our being. And God is love. Shouldn't love be be coming out of us in some kind of way? Shouldn't we love the people that God died for, that he sent his son for, which is all those who would believe on his name? Shouldn't we love those people that he so loved, that he gave his life for and have trusted him and accepted him? The answer to that question is yes. And I'm going to show you why. God is love. A lot of people use God is love, this verse, to excuse sin, to tolerate sin. But that's not the kind of love we're talking about. This kind of love doesn't excuse sin because, see, God is love, but God's also a bunch of other things. He's also perfect holiness. He's perfect righteousness. He's he's perfect justice. So when, when, when God says, when God loves you enough and wants to pardon you from your sin, wants to justify you, he can't just wink his eye and forget all the sin. If he did, he wouldn't be just, he wouldn't be righteous. He wouldn't, that would be him throwing away his holiness in order to just be loving to you. Now you and I, we can do that. 
If my son goes out and kills somebody and is on death row or whatever, I can, I can throw away all my justice and I can just love, love him because I'm not perfect in my justice. I, I, I'm kind of partial to my son. You know, if he does something wrong, I'm going to defend him even when I know he's wrong and I'm going to love him right through it. There's nothing wrong with it. That's what we're supposed to do. But see, God God is perfectly just. The the serial killer, the mass murderer, he's going to face justice. And we all say amen because he is. We know that nobody gets away with anything. But that also means that I, for my sin, am going to face justice. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to pay for that justice, to stand in for me if I would just repent of my sin and trust in him. That is love. Not that he tolerates sin, not that he winks at sin, not that he excuses sin, but that he sends everything that he has in order to pay for the sin so that so that the ones that he loves can go free. The ones that he loves can be can be declared innocent. That's love. So when you hear, I hear it quite often, you know, you'll say, well, it, this is sin over here or this is not sin over here or, or something. You try to talk to someone said, now you're just not being very loving because God is love. That's a complete misuse of this verse. And we're going to see that the reason he says God is love right here is not just to say everything you do is okay because God's just your loving old granddaddy and he's going to give you some change out of his pocket and he's not really going to care what goes on. The reason he says God is love because because he's letting you know that the one who doesn't love doesn't know God. He said, you can't say that I know God if you don't love the brethren because God himself is love. And if he dwells in you, then you will be loving. You can't be a vegetarian and eat hamburgers. I'm sorry. I don't care what you call yourself. In the same way, you cannot say that I am a Christian and not love the brethren. Does it take some work? Does it take some sanctification? Does it take some learning through messing up? Yeah, it does for sure. I'm not saying you're perfect, but what I am saying is the love for the brethren is there. It's there and you have a desire to fellowship with his, God's people. You have a desire to invest your life in them. That is what loving the brethren means. It is there and I know it's there because God himself, if he is there, he is love. And he said, everyone, everyone that knows God is going to love, love the brethren. And the one who doesn't love them doesn't know God. Now, let's define what that love means. Let's define it. It says, it says, uh, uh, verse nine and 10 says, in this was manifested the love of God toward us. We've seen this statement before. This is how God manifests his love. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. It's not that we loved God because we didn't love God. But it's that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is love. You can't have your own definition of love. You can't make up this kind of love in your heart and say, well, this is what love is that I think it is. And I'm doing that. So therefore, I must be OK. No, you don't get your own definition. I don't get my own definition of what a vegetarian is. If I'm eating hamburgers and steaks, I don't care what you say. I'm not a vegetarian. You don't get your own definition of love. Well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And, you know, I know I don't. You don't get that. 
The Bible itself defines this love. This is how love was manifested to us. God gave his son to die on the cross for us so that our sins could be forgiven. If this is love, not that he loved us. Understand, loving people that don't love you is not a natural thing to do. It's really unnatural. Loving, hating people that hate you, that's a natural thing. Even the, even the, the, it says even the Gentiles do that. Even those who don't know God love the ones who love them. But loving people that are hard to love is not a natural thing. And so it says herein is love. This is the definition of love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now look at this love. Let's take it apart just for a second. Look what God did. God loved us when we were not lovable. He loved us. In fact, he loved us when we hated him. We were his enemies. You may not have cursed him. You may not have went out and just said, I hate God and all those things. But when you serve another God, when you serve yourself, when you serve your your whatever idol that you've put in front of him, you become God's enemies. It says in Romans chapter three. No one, no one is righteous before God. No one seeks God. They all, it says the, the poison of asps is in their mouth and their throat is an open grave. And it, it says all those things about all of us before we knew Christ. It says before we came to him, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were enemies of God. The mindset on the flesh is enmity against God. That means it hates God. But even in the midst of our hatred, God didn't love us because we were so cuddly and lovable. He didn't love us because we were worthy to be loved. He didn't love us because we put anything his direction that was remotely valuable or worthy. In our lost, disgusting, natural, hating state, he loved us and he sent his son to die for us. Herein is love. This is love. Not that you love God. But that he loved us. He loved us. And this is what he did. Number one, he sent his own son. I don't know about y'all. I, I love y'all, but I'm not letting my son get a cold for y'all. But he loved us so much that he sent his son. Not only did he send his son, he sent his son for people who hated him. He sent his son for people that continually broke his law. He sent his son for people that weren't worthy of love, weren't valuable at all, other than we were made in the image of God. They weren't anything. They weren't putting anything God's direction that says, well, you know, sometimes if somebody's just a little nice to you, you say, well, at least, at least they got that. You know, I know they got all this wrong, but at least they got that going for them. At least they, at least they bake me a chocolate cake every now and again. I mean, I can give them that much. There was nothing, there was nothing that we were putting in God's direction that would make us worthy of his love at all. But yet he gave his son. He didn't just give his son, he gave his son to come and die. He didn't give his son just to come teach us, which although Jesus did teach us, he didn't give his son to come and just, you know, show us the way. He gave us his son to be the way. He gave us his son to be uh, humiliated and beaten and crucified. He gave his son to die, not only to die, but to die in our place who hated him. Remember, we talked about that word propitiation before we saw it in chapter two. It means to take away the wrath of God. It means to take away wrath. It means the wrath is poured out on something else. 
If, if, if I am, if you're angry with me, if your wrath is, uh, is fired up against me, I put something in your way that takes all of that wrath. It absorbs it. So it doesn't come to me. That's what a propitiation is. So understand that Jesus didn't come just to die and suffer physically. He came to die and to take the wrath of a holy God for me. I don't know if you understand how insane that is. I, I've known a lot of people through church, not known, but uh, there's a lot of people through church history that have died, been fed to the lions, had their you know heads chopped off. Uh, you can read about some of those in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. You know, they, they, they were sawn in two, it says in Hebrews chapter 11. There, there were martyrs all through Christian history. And all these people, uh, you know, you read about their stories, most of them Almost all of them that you read about anyway, they go to their death proud. They go to their death with their head high saying, I'm going to die for Christ. I'm going to be burned at the stake. I'm going to be whatever. And it always, it always bothered me that Jesus in the garden was not like that. He was like, Father, please, if it's any way, take this cup from me. Why were these people so, so ready to go, so happy to die? And Jesus was pleased to take it. It was because Jesus wasn't just dying. He wasn't just dying a physical death. He was about to face the wrath of a holy God. He was about to have all the wrath for all the sin of all the people in the world that has ever lived from the beginning of time until the end of time. All of that wrath, all of that justice, all of that pure holiness and righteousness poured out upon his head and he was going to take it. I don't know about you, but that is a terrifying thing. That's a terrifying thing just to die. You know, that's not a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal to us, but it's not a big deal in the scope of things. If you're a believer, you get to go be with Christ. You get to go be with your loved ones who've gone on before. You know, it's just a transition. It's just a change of address. But imagine being faced with the proposition of taking the wrath of God, the law of God that millions upon millions and billions of people had broke. And he took all of your sin, all of my sin, all the sin that the guy did over in Africa and South America, all the sin that the guy did uh, 400 years ago, 5,000 years ago, all the sin if the world keeps spinning for another thousand years and Christ doesn't return, all the sin for that guy that's going to be living a thousand years from now. He took all of that wrath upon himself, not just for you, not just for me, not just for Christ church, not just for Brownsville or America, or not even just for the world as it is today, but all the people that have ever lived on the world and all the people that will ever live on the world. Jesus took the wrath for all of them. Understand he came and died to satiate God's wrath against sin for all those who would trust in him, all those who would believe in him. That is love. Not that, not that we loved him, but that he loved us when we hated him. And he sent his son to die on the cross as a substitute. He put Jesus out there and poured wrath upon him so that I wouldn't have to be the recipient of his wrath. That's what love looks like. It's a giving of your life. It's a giving of his life. You remember what he said earlier in this book? He said, he said, there's no greater love than a man. That, this is John, the gospel of John. No greater love than a man have 
than this, that he lay down his life, that he lay down his life for his friends. The kind of love that we're talking about here for the brethren, for the church, for the body of believers is not just a, man, I hope they really do good. I hope they're doing good out there. It's an investing of your life. It's a giving away of your life for someone else. It's a giving away of your life for the body of believers. It's giving away your life for your brother and your sister in Christ. It's investing. It's, it's, giving, your, it's giving away your life in service. In service to Christ's body for Christ's sake. Jesus told Peter, do you love me? He said, Jesus, you know that I love you. And what are you telling to do? If you love me, then you will feed my sheep. That's what you will do if you love me. Understand, it says this is what love is. You don't get to make up your own definition. You don't get to say, well, my heart is really going out for them folks. You know, I know I don't I don't never go out there and I don't never help them. And I don't ever have. And it's not just this church It's what if you go to another church is that it's whatever local body of believers you belong to. It's not just, well, I, I really hope they do good and I'm nice to everybody and I don't really hurt anybody's feelings. You don't get to make up your own definition of love. He has defined it for us and he has told us without reservation, there's no ifs, there's no ands, there's no buts. There's nothing in that text that we read in verse seven and eight. It said everyone that loves this way has been born of God and the one who doesn't love does not know God, period, because God is love. You can't make up your own definition. You don't get to decide what love is and say, well, I'm fulfilling that. So thereby I must be doing what God says. No, you do it by what the scripture says, by what God has ordained in his word, or you're not doing it. Understand the examination is not how good you're doing it. Because if we took that test, we all go fail. The examination is, is it there? You cannot walk out the doors today going, boy, I'm, I'm fixing to really do better and get this done. That's, you can't. This love is from God. It told us that in the very first verse. Love is from God. If it doesn't come from God by your heart being changed, born again, you won't have it. It's simple as that. You can't work your way up to it. You can't do better. We all need to do better. But you can't, you can't manufacture this love in your own flesh, in your own strength, in your own mind. It doesn't work that way. It's not natural. It doesn't come that way. It only comes from God. Because God is love. This kind of love is what he did. Now, look what it says. Let me pull up a clock. I don't know what time it is. As we end up, it says, here in his love, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Who's he talking to? The beloved. He's talking to the church, talking to the believers over and over again in Scripture. That word, beloved, especially when John's writing, it's talking to the believers. If God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. Look at the past tense on loved. If God so loved, past tense, does that mean he don't love us anymore? No, beloved means we're loved, doesn't it? So he still loves us, but what's he talking about when he uses the past tense of love. 
If God so loved us, if he loved us in this way, in what way did he love us? He's talking about an action. He's not talking about a feeling of your heart, a a mushy, you know, idea in your brain. He's talking about an action. If God so loved us, if God loved us in this way, if he loved us this way by sending his son to die on the cross for us, we ought. Now, don't take that word to mean, you know, I really ought to. It means you're obligated. It's an obligation. It means you're obliged. It means you must. You're obligated. If God so loved us, we are obligated. We ought also to love one another. Understand what it means. Now, I know you're saying, how does does those puzzle pieces fit together? That that we we love one another because God loved us. You know, I, I... I trust in Christ. I trust in him. I I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he took the wrath for me. I I believe those things. Why why does it matter really if I love the brethren? It's two reasons. I already told you one, because God is love. And if he dwells in you, you will. Simple as that. But the second thing is, think about this for a minute. Now think with me. Put Put on your thinking hats. You cannot say that Jesus is all sufficient. He is worthy. He is all that you need. He is valuable unless you love the people that Jesus died for. He died for the world, but you know what I mean? The church, those who've trusted him, his people, his body. Why? Because Jesus looked at him and said they're valuable. Jesus looked at him and said they're worthy. Jesus was willing to give his very life, not only just to die a physical death, which was the payment for sin, but to take the wrath of God himself, to take the wrath of the father. You know, when Jesus was crucified, the earth shook and the the sky went dark and the temple veil rent. That was God, the father pouring his wrath out on his only son. He was willing to do that for you. He was willing to do that for me. And so when you say, you know what, when you neglect the body of believers, when you neglect those that are in union with Christ, when you say, you know what, they're not worth my time. You might not say that out of your mouth, but by not giving your time, you're saying that they're not worth my time. When you, when you withhold your mercies, when you withhold uh, the, your fellowship, when you withhold the help that others may need, or when you withhold yourself from being helped by someone that, that is able to help you, when you draw back from the fellowship of believers, when you draw back from the people who are united with Christ, you are saying that Christ is not enough. Do you understand? You're saying that he's not enough. You're saying that he is not worthy. Because the person that is united with Christ is one with Jesus Christ. With all of their flaws, with all of their failings, with all of their stuff, Jesus still loved them. If they're part of the body of Christ, Jesus still loved them. He still died for them. He still saved them. And he still lives inside of them. No matter who they are. So when you say, you know what? I don't want none. I don't need nothing. I'm going to go. And for me, it would be, I'm just going to go and hang out at my house. Or for you, it'd be something else. I'm going to withdraw myself from fellowship. I'm going to withdraw myself from service. 
I'm going to withdraw my love. Remember, remember, this love that we're talking about is an action. It's not just a feeling in your heart. It said, if God so loved, past tense, us, he gave his son, then we're obligated to love one another. And the last verse we'll look at today, it says, verse 12, no man has seen God at any time. John said this also in the first chapter of John, the gospel of John. He said, no man's seen God, but the son has revealed him to us. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. That's how we know that God dwells in us. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected. That means it has reached its goal. It's doing what it was meant to. To do It has reached the goal that it was intended for. Understand if you're a believer in Christ, God is love and he is using you to love. That's what he does. God doesn't, let me make sure I phrase this right. God has chosen to act in and through his church in this world. That's how he acts. That's how he spreads his gospel. That's how he uh, uh, enlarges his kingdom. That's how he brings people into the kingdom of God. That's how he grows people in discipleship and the fellowship with God is through his people, through his church. That's how he moves in this world. Now, I'm not discounting God moves in our lives, we've seen miracle after miracle. I understand that. But we're talking about God loving through the gospel, bringing people into the kingdom, enlarging his kingdom, and, and coming into fellowship with mankind. God has chosen to use his church. He's chosen to use the gospel through his people and to show his love through his people. He says, if we love, God dwells in us. That is the evidence. This is the test. That John has told us over and over again, the test of love. And he's saying, look, the only way that you can know, the way that you know, even Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples. Why? Because you love one another. This is the evidence that you've been born again. You don't get to make up your own definition of love. It's a giving of your life. It's a, it's a sacrifice of yourself, of your time, of your talents, of your, your whatever for the people of God on behalf of Christ himself. You serve Christ by serving his people, by serving his beloved, by going out and making disciples. By going and, and meeting the needs of people. We're, we're in Acts in my Sunday school class and, and, and the whole latter part of the Acts, I didn't really even realize it until we started studying it. Paul, in his second and third missionary journey, he spent most of his time not planting churches, but strengthening the ones that he had planted the first time. He went over on and on. He loved them. He loved them and wanted to see them grow. So the question today is, do you love the brethren? Don't don't soul search your heart and see if you have good feelings toward them. Don't measure it by, you know, I, I, I'm doing pretty good and I, I'm not mean to anybody and I hadn't hurt anybody. That's not the definition of love. That could be all kind of thing. That could be infatuation. That could be that could be compassion. That could be all kind of different emotions. The definition that God gives us in his word of love is are you giving 
Are you sacrificing yourself? Giving of yourself for His people? Are you even available for His people? I mean, that's, that's even a better question. So many times you see, we see people, they come to Christ and they, it's just this new thing and it just fills up their life. It fills up their mind, their thinking, their heart. And then after a while, they just go back to the way things were. Talked to a couple this week who it was part of their testimony that they said, I used to make this thing more important than God. And then he saved me. That was their testimony. And now they've removed themselves from service to God to go right back to the thing that they said. It wasn't a drug or anything like that. It was something that's, there's nothing wrong with it in the world. But they've gone right back to what they said they, they made Christ Lord over before. They've gone right back to, right back to living in the bubble. I don't need anybody. I don't want anybody in my space. I don't want to have to deal with anybody. It hurts. It's messy. Yes, all those things. God's love. If God lives in you, God is love and you love his brethren. You can't say, like I started, I'm a vegetarian, except for I eat pork and beef and chicken and all those things. It doesn't make sense. And you can't say, I know God who is love if you do not love. It's a hard truth, but it's really, it's really reality. None of y'all had a problem with me saying it's kind of dumb to say that I'm a vegetarian and still eat meat and all those. Why do we have a problem if God is love to say that you can't have God in you if you don't love? It's really the same thing. It's really the same thing. So examine yourself. Examine your heart. What is it that you love? You show me where you're spending all your time, I'll show you what you love. You show me what you do when you get off work, when you get out of school. You show me, you show me what's number one on your to-do list, I'll show you what you love. You show me where all your finances go, I'll show you what you love. You show me what you sacrifice for, I'll show you what you love. Let me ask you this. If Jesus looked at you today and said, Joe, Frank, Bob, Susie, do you love me? And you knew the answer was, then feed my sheep. Could you say, well, of course, Jesus, you know that I love you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We come before you.